Welcome to the Elevate Media Podcast with your host, Chris Anderson. In this show, Chris and his guests will share their knowledge and experience on how to go from zero to successful entrepreneur. They have built their businesses from scratch and are now ready to give back to those who are just starting. Let's get ready to learn, grow, and elevate our businesses. And now your host, Chris Anderson. Yeah, Colonel, I would love if you're open to it, just maybe sharing a story or two about someone you knew that had that resiliency, that spec op warrior mentality to just show what that is like. The, uh, there are many tales to tell, Chris. I've watched it time and time again with warriors that, that were not willing to let the circumstances of their injuries prevent them from moving on, whose resilience was very apparent, their will to fight through whatever those injuries were, and their extreme desire to get back to the team, which is when you go to our, the mentality, the special operations, which is hard to get making on the team in the first place, making it through the assessment selection and training crucible, qualification crucible, getting to the point where you're, you made the NFL, you made major leagues of at least military activities, it's certainly in combat activities. And now uh, you're hurt through a wound, illness, or injury, and you are trying to stay on the team, get back to the team, but all the, at, the, at the same time, looking at the future, your quality of life, looking at the impact on your family, you've got all these things weighing on you as you're, as you're going through this. I've had dear friends, one of my dearest, Clay Pendergrass, who's like a brother to me. We've known each other over 20 years, served multiple tours, include deployed together, a Navy SEAL. He is now a, he just made full captain, so he's, he reached my grade and rank. Also a Mustang officer like me, he'd done enlisted time before he became a, an officer. He had been thrown about 40 feet by an IED in combat that really messed up his spine badly. He trooped on through the mission and, and in fact, through the deployment. But later, as it started to debilitate him and affect him physically and emotionally to some degree, um, he, he ended up having to go through an awful lot to repair. And I would tell you, he's never really, he's never going to be fully repaired. Mm. He's got a, a, a block of metal in his spine, basically about that long, but it's, it's, it's about six inches long, holding together vertebrae. He went through, oh, countless surgeries I, beyond count, what the number of times. And he had near, near death experiences in those surgeries where one time he got a infection in the membrane or surrounding his, his, his spine and the spinal fluid leaked out. His doctor was an old Navy doc, actually carried him out of his apartment and got him to an ER and eventually into surgery and was able to save his life. But Clay went through, and Clay continues to fight. He got back to duty. He got back to, to, to serving. He, he is still on active duty, pending retirement himself up here this next year, but having to work through those injuries. It, it, for him, it was never, and as well, I can, again, with, if I related other stories, it was never an option to not get back, okay, to not get back to some level. It's physicality. If you looked at Clay, you'd say, oh, this guy's a tough guy. He is a tough guy, okay? He's got some limitations. He's got draft foot. He's got some things. He cobbles. He hurts and he aches and he's in pain a lot, but he just feels with it. But again, that's where that mentality, and as we talked before, the, the, as we try to translate that to the civilian sector, attitude. Uh, now, I would have obviously argued that special operators have got that eight attitude 
They yeah. not have been recruited, ultimately made it through that assessment selection qualification to get there if they didn't have that. And I was going to ask that. I, I Sorry to interrupt, but I, that is curious to me. So there is an assessment process. So I was going to, my question going on in my head was, so do these individuals, these special operations individuals have something a lot of people don't just innately, or is a lot of that resiliency mentality trained as well or the combination? Definitely a combination. Okay. Because a lot of times an individual doesn't know how resilient they ultimately can be. Okay. You don't know it until you face it. You, I, I would tell, I would say athletes probably have the, uh, especially in sports that have extreme physicality requirements, understand that. If you're a, I was a long distance runner. I trained and trained and ran the Olympic trials in 1984 for the marathon. Wow. Uh, I didn't make it, obviously. You're, you know my name better, right? <laughs> you, but be Frank Shorter and Kerry Arbonne, I'd have my own line of clothes. But, but the fact is that endurance athletes, Football players, baseball players, professional athletes have that understanding, hockey players, mm. where they, you have to, what you, what it takes to be able to survive the sport and move up and progress in the sport, right? They had to have a neat skill in order to make it. You can't take somebody who's just totally uncoordinated, doesn't have the basic muscle mass, attitude and physicality to be able to uh, turn it. Rudy was great to see him get a play in the Notre Dame game, but he got a play, right? Yeah. And what he had was a huge heart. That was the whole story of Rudy. When you, when you, if you've ever seen the movie or read the book, that that's, that's his story, but that's not, he didn't have it to, to progress to be starter and have it to go into the NFL. Our business, the NFL is a, is a special operations community and it has varying levels of of strata in that too, the very, very elite units in the special mission community, even harder to get into than basic special forces or Navy SEAL. So each of those kind of things, just getting through that takes an individual that already has willingness to try and to persevere. And yes, there has to be some okay. willingness to do that. But I think most human beings have that to some degree. If you watch how the American public dealt with uh, 9-11, the, the basic citizens on the street in the midst of that, rushing into buildings to help along with the police officer and other first responders and firemen that so many of them lost, so mm-hmm. so horrible. You saw people helping, re- going in, you hear about the guy who runs into traffic to save a kid or does, uh, runs into a bur- burning house. There are people that have that, that are willing to do that, whether or not they've been in the military or not. So I think it's in, in us. It's a matter of finding it. And one yeah. of the things that assessment, selection, and qualification does in special operations is it helps you find that and foster it and grow it so that you are going to be more resilient when you face true adversity. Gotcha. So what are some things they use or utilize to find that, pull that out, enhance that in, in those soldiers to get them to be able to, to be even more resilient than maybe what they're innately already about? A few things. Physical stress, obviously, is principal amongst those. And it's not hard. Our operational activities, both in training as well as in actual operations, are physically challenged. Already have that, but also mentally challenged. And there's things like facing food in minimal quantities and food and water, loss of lack of sleep. We put all those kind of stressors on ourselves when we go through that. 
Now, same kind of things that I think you'd see if somebody went through a, is doing triathlons or is when you watch Survivor or some of these shows or these reality shows. Yeah. About those stresses. So or there are things and I'm saying people should go home and starve themselves and not <laughs> sleep. I'm saying that taking up activities, though, if you're trying to build resilience of this sort where you face stress, but putting yourself under stress, which comes in a variety of formats, is the way that you ultimately strengthen yourself. It's a muscle. Resilience is a muscle. Okay. And we have to think of it that way. And yeah. we work out our muscles and we try to stay physically fit, right? I don't, I've never been, I've been an endurance athlete my whole life in a golf. I'm not trying to build bulk. I'm about right. the same size I was. In fact, I'm within seven pounds of what I was when I joined the army 41 years, 42 years ago. This day. Wow. Okay. But I'm, I, what do I do? I keep myself active. And for me, it's like total gym. God love Chuck Norris. <laughs> yeah. uh, for others, it's heavier weights or other things, but it's the stretch you put on yourself. It's a routine. And I think with building resilience and being a resilient person means working those muscles. So working your mind, becoming informed, read, reading the great philosophers, mm. strengthening your mind, that all helps making your mind more resilient. Develop techniques. And you understand it. Debate makes you more resilient. If you are, especially what we're dealing with in today's world, if you are one-sided in your thinking and only wanting to hear things that make you happy, you're not going to strengthen yourself. Because then if you watch how people deal with the current political climate, anything that's not making them happy stresses them out to perplexion and sometimes behave, misbehave, mm. right? Yeah. All you got to do is look at what happened January 6th. Yeah. And say, okay, we lost, we had some people lose control of those speed. Yeah. Right? How do you then get into it where you build that resilience where you can handle that? I would like to think that most members of the military, certainly the people that I've known in my career and long career, my friend network, we're gumbeat when it comes to that. We're mm. in stick. Okay. Yeah. You got it. So Democrats won this time, next time, maybe the Republican, whoever. Okay. All we want to do is whatever is right for our country. A resilient mind is able to deal with that and debate it on a friend with, in a friendly way. Yeah. It's like when you hear uh, the saying, like, those who anger you can control you kind of thing. If you are, if you're so rigid that when people make you upset, that elicits a response from you in a negative way, then they almost, they control your, they, they got you under control. It is. And yeah. it's a degree of brainwashing maybe an overstatement and <laughs> a degree of that through through the media in particular as an no. exercise because we polarize ourselves and for the sake of i don't know economics whatever's driving that we're allowing the the sign of the argument to basically be presented to us and it's the other side is hateful and evil and no matter which one you listen to right we don't sit in the middle anymore and are willing to to debate that in a friendly way and debate yeah. is an argument and, and even argument, if you look at it from philosophical terms, argument is not, does not have a tone of anger to it. Mm. Okay. Argument is seeing both sides. Gotcha. This okay. is what you should hear and then try to find truth is always found in the middle or almost always found in the middle. There are some pure trees. Yeah. But there, it's there and it's apparent. Why argue with truth? Yeah. Why seek it and find it? And I think resilient people do. I think okay. people are able to hear both sides, balance that, and be able to, even if they don't like it, or even if it isn't where their true heart and proclivities go, it is they're willingness to listen to it. 
Okay. That's a good point. So, so, so being able to see both sides and take it in, studying, obviously, like you said, the philosophy and those ancient, like older philosophers, what can people do besides maybe having those conversations and reading in their everyday lives to start building that resilience mindset? Are there actual physical things they can, do? for example, if Wim Hof or people like that who do the, the ice submersion? in like ice bath submerging for and controlling the breathing is, are those kind of methods that people could implement like cold showers in the morning so they control their feelings or response to that? One of the things actually we do in, in special ops that most people would know that we have a lot of guys have it up is yoga. Um, mm. Meditative activities where you're using your mind and, and focusing your mind, I think are very effective. I've used it to some degree and found it. I'm not really good at the stretching part. I don't bend. I'm <laughs> too old to bend. 62 is not an age to be. Oh. But, but the, the meditative qualities of that, it, and meditation can take various forms. It can also be prayer if you're religious. It can be lots of things. It's where you're able to go inside yourself and think things through. I do that. I isolate myself to some degree. So I think isolate, ice bass, H-bot, if you're looking at a hyperbaric or some of these things, isolation chamber. Uh, sailing float tanks. I've seen all kinds of stuff used to help guys, especially if they're trying to quiet their mind, dealing with post-traumatic stress or other things, mm. uh, might have some effectiveness. Uh, but I would think more along the line of just being able to quiet your mind and okay. is what I would say is a physical a way to address your developing a better mindset along with then applying the stresses. The mindset, and I view that, again, having been an endurance athlete, viewing things through that lens. And also most of special operations, these activities are endurance activities. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's training is oriented around having that endurance. So um, it's putting yourself in those kind of things applies. It's impossible to run a really long race without using your mind. Okay. Yeah. If you don't, you can run a hundred meters or 200 meters without using your mind. There you just get out there and you throw it all down. You're not yeah in your mind. You're trying to beat the guy next to you, right? And left. Running 10,000 meters or more, you're in a different, you're in a different breed. Okay. Yep. Have to go into your mind because you have to think things through and you're always thinking about your pace and you're always thinking about where you are. You also have to quiet your body and not think about the stresses on it and all of those things. And I think that's where, and you can apply that to cycling, apply that to a lot of different activities, have that endurance component. And I think that you find those are good ways to not only work your body, but also work your mind. Yeah, those, that's a good point. And I think, yeah, being able to quiet your mind, control those thought processes is, is a big way to just build that resiliency. And then pairing that, while you're, you're talking about the endurance uh, athletes, I saw a marathon runner as well, but applying it to those like stresses, those stressors, those things that are going to stretch you mentally, physically, and then during those incorporating just the slowing of the thought. Okay, I'm going to control the situation. I'm, I'm in this situation and, and how am I going to respond to these stressors? I think are huge. Yeah, if you're as a, a runner yourself, you're going to run five minute miles for a sustained period, which is what the pace was in my day that I was running. You're going to run five minute miles. You need to get inside yourself. You have to slow your breathing and your control of it. But you, if you, if you're gasping for air, you'll, you'll, quickly uh, wash out, right? And lactic acid will build up and all of a sudden your legs will be leaden and you're not going anywhere. Right. You have to, again, become meditative. 
and you have to get inside it. You're thinking about things, you're keeping out your pace, but you're doing it. And I would say that I know that I'm, I'm not alone in this. Any great, anybody who's a real serious distance runner knows that you could run at your pace and have a conversation. Mm-hmm. You could talk to a person and would not, you would even notice that they're running. That's the way you had to get. You had to get to where you had that control. Yeah. So the thing goes. And you have to now applying that back to the special operator, being resilient and dealing with those stresses. The same thing happens in the midst of contact, so to speak. Okay. When we're talking about when the enemy's firing to combat mm. operation, you have to be calm and cool in order to get through those kind of things. And many of my brothers have a lot more experience with this because by the time this worked, and I was already a pretty senior officer. So I'm not the kind of guy that was out on battlefields in the midst of gunfights, close range the same way. But those guys, but I have been around them and I have experiences of, of that sort in my career. And I would tell you that it's a matter of calm. It's the call under stress mm. uh, that happens. And um, it's an ability to concentrate and focus on your job and the tasks. So if you look at uh, our Medal of Honor recipients, most of them thrust themselves into a situation to risk you know, without thought of their life risk their life by doing so to save enough. Mm-hmm. Almost every Medal of Honor recipient is tied to assisting and saving the life of one of their brothers or sisters. That's what it is. They rush mm-hmm. into the fight, not thinking. Why? Because they're cool enough to think about, to be able to put themselves in the situation and what their job is. Yeah. And part of the job, any uh, military activity on a battlefield, part of the job, one, you got the Comps, you got to kill the enemy, whatever it may be, attack and destroy their capability, right? But the other piece of it is get your boys and sisters home, get your boys and girls home, whoever's on the mission with you. Yeah. And so it, it, we all come back. That's an ad we have. And that's that uh, familial thing that I've talked about with yeah. special operators with you before. It's that, that family kind of sense. All right. This is why you see a Sal Junta rush off to get up. Taliban was dragging this buddy away. And you ask him in his, when he's interviewed about why he, why need he run it? Because they have my friend. That's why. The Ron Schur, who uh, sadly passed from cancer, but Medal of Honor recipient from, from third special forces group, who just kept going back to get his buddies. He was the medic on the team, just kept going to get his buddies. If you saw that great movie from World War II about the kid uh, on the, uh, in Okinawa. Saw Ridge. Taxaw Ridge about the DOS. And you see what he did. Just what one more. God, it's choked up, right? Just yeah. thinking about it. I got misty on watching mm. this kid read the citation of his medal and the story of him and his interviews of him and the guys in the state. It was like one guy just kept running in, grabbing more, grabbing more, and he saved God, eight guys off that ridge. Just think about that. Why? They were his guys. That's what it is. It's the, what the job is. Mm. That takes incredible, going back to the topic, that takes incredible resilience. To be able to say, I'm putting it all aside in order to do this. Okay. Yeah. And I know I'll be back. I know they eat me and I will. Yeah. That's, and it's so, yeah. And I, we need more of that. It just, because we see so much just society going in the opposite direction, I feel. Uh, and maybe it's just because that's what's portrayed a lot on social media, in the media. But so many people are not really resilient. And we got some hard things coming if, if we can't be resilient and have that mentality. As you're dealing with this pandemic, just think about it. Now, I'm not suggesting that people that are losing their lives to it are more resilient. There, right. There are plenty of that very tough people that yep. 
put down by this because it's hard to know what's in your body as a ticking time box. Yep. And how your body would react to the virus. But the fact is that um, dealing with the pandemic and the isolation created by it, the having to work from home constantly. Yeah. Dealing with that takes takes a resilient mind and not letting it get the best of you to work frustrates you. And we all had to we all had to live that. That's what it is. It, it's nice. It'll be nice to finally get rid of masks. It's nice to do things virtually where we don't have to talk through one. We're having to live in a world where that's required. Yep. And where it will be the norm for a very long time. I'm hopeful that this, I got my vaccines uh, recently. And so I've had both my shots and I'm like well, five days away from being called safe. I'm ha- happy that, to, to have that feeling. But until the whole herd is safe out there, we all can't get back to normal. Mm. And we've got a lot of people who are not, are anti-vaccine or whatever mm. it may be. And right. my perspective, I don't know why. Yeah. Do you just really want to wear a mask the rest of your life everywhere you go? And yeah, it you have seen it a lot with these, with the kind of shutdowns and things like that. People just having so much issues and just struggles with it because that, yeah, just not being able to calm that mind and direct like their thoughts in a way that's constructive positively and and yeah, it's almost like you think almost, and, and I could be way off, but the optimist versus the pessimist, I feel like have different levels of resilient mindset sometimes. I like that. I think that's very true. And I think that also ties into what we've been talking about. Yeah. I'm telling you, special operations people are, at least the book grant majority of them that I've known through my life, are amazingly optimistic. We look for the solution. We believe there always is a solution. We're problem solvers by virtue of breeding and also by, by practice. Makes you make, it puts you in a mindset that forces you to work toward a goal. Okay. And achieve a goal. Yeah. And it takes optimism to do that because if you're pessimist from the start, you'll say the goal's unachievable, but there's no reason to do this. It's not worth our time. Not, not what we do. And we look at possible challenges and figure out, in fact, the more possible the challenge, the more satisfying it is to achieve, right? I think that, that that is an important aspect to it. Yeah. And optimism, I like to think that's the way I was raised. My mother was optimistic all the time. Yeah. And, and that was the way I wanted to be. Yeah. And I think with that too, like also having goals, like having things you're working towards and not just being like in that program mindset, oh, I'm just going to go work for this person, do what they tell me and then come home and do nothing. Like, I think we got so many people got into that, just that routine of like, I work for somebody, I come home and I just veg out and relax and they don't have any sort of external goals. And so when all this kind of, they had time to do nothing, it just started really to mess with their mind almost. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I would agree with that. I'm a shark myself in life. I'm constantly moving. Yeah. It doesn't mean I don't appreciate some veg time for once in a while when it's plopped down in your show or something on, on one of those streaming channels. But that, but I'm not, that's not my life. That's a small time in my life. Uh, from the day on, from the morning on, I'm busy. I like that. Yeah. Uh, of course, I had a, with the military career, it was busy all the time. <laughs> moving into retirement changed that. But I make it busy with my other efforts. Yeah. But those are, I think it's very important to have that routine. A routine delight. And- oh, you there? 
Yeah, I had just somebody try to call in with oh. the uh, one of my favorite bosses, Admiral Bill McCraven. He famous for make his bed speech. He uh, he would he would say that we do that that we put ourselves in that routine because it satisfies us. One of those tasks, that first task of the day, make your bed. And I, I follow this. I've been doing this since my mother would slap me around if I didn't. <laughs> but it was get up, make your bed, wine. So at the end of the day, you're going to see you've already, you did at least want to accomplish one task. Yep. And come back to a fresh rack. But it's, is, it's attitude that pervades you that it takes mm. over your life is that I've got a routine to life that has positives. Make my bed. Do my do whatever my physical activity is, my TPT, whether it's in the morning or it's during the day, however it is. I've yep. got things that I do and I have accomplished goals and I set goals each day. And I think resilient people do that. Yeah. Yeah, routinely. And yeah. I would encourage everybody to take on a routine like that. Yeah. I think life's life's already so short. I can't just imagine not having things to work towards, just working and then coming home and sitting and doing nothing. Like uh, I'm like you, like always on the go, have things to do, goal set, schedule type stuff. Yeah, I just can't sit around. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and, and who wants to? Frankly, sitting around, getting that centric, I worry about society and I don't, I, I don't want to be negative to people because people could take this, could take this harshly. But remember the movie Wally? Yeah. Do we want to become a society and become so lazy that we come to where we're all hitting the by and large and we're right. closing around and we're We've grown to where we're, we're doing nothing but, but consuming. And in the yeah. case of Wally, right? They're, they're yeah. All around, they're all morbidly obese. Yeah. They're, and they're not productive, right? Yeah. Why would we want to be that way? Where is the satisfaction in that? Right. Uh, yes, there are devices that can convey us. Do we want to be on them all the time? Do we want to take, and this is one that's near and dear to my heart because of working with wounded warriors for so mm. long. Do we want to treat routine wear and tear? And this is, I say this because the VA called 100% disabled because hmm. that's the terminology. I view it as I was, I, I, I had enough wear and tear in my body. Government decided to compensate me for when I sacrificed in my military service. Okay. So they could be a wear and tear payment. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Pays. And it adds a little bit to my income. Basically, it offsets the allowances I lost when I got off active duty. Okay, it's, it's not a ton of money, but it's a little bit to say here, this helps offset your, those demands that, you know, what you gave up. But a disab disabled means something else. We've taken that and to the normal citizen, when you hear disabled, you think handicapped. Mm -hmm. not. So while I'm eligible for a disabled vehicle tag that would allow me to park in handicapped parking spots, I'm not doing that. I'm capable of walking. Why would I yeah. walk? Yeah. But we have a, in our society, we've moved toward this, and this is where we're moving toward Wally. We've moved toward this entitlement attitude that allows us to get the benefits and then push those forward, okay? And use those to our, to convenience ourselves. I say that I live in a state, Florida, where 50% disabled by the VA yeah. makes you eligible for a disabled veteran license plan. That allows you to park in these parking slots. You can get 50% disability from the VA for sleep apnea. Huh. Okay. So right, what we have now is limited ability for our true handicapped people, wheelchair bound, to get parking slots now at 
the grocery store, wherever they're at. Because then people with sleep apnea who are able to park in that because it's more convenient to be able to park up next to the door. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that we're just not thinking through as a right. society and not saying. So that's why I say d- disability, dis- dis- ought to be called something else. I, I tell that to my to the lady of my life who uh, works in the VA system that that it bothers me that it's been called that because I do not want to be treated as disabled. I am not disabled. Right. But I'm sure it's sore. Okay. <laughs> the spine doesn't work. I don't yeah. and I have, you know, I have plenty of things that I understand they want to cop. My knees don't work like they used to. And that's primarily from exclusively from all those years in military service that were the things got beat up. My brain doesn't work like it. Yet. I like to say I'm like to the uh, the Waco kid from uh, Blazing Saddles because they're rock, but I said <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, it's that. And I think that yeah. as, as a society you have to address that and say, okay. Is that the right way for us to be? And yep. isn't it, don't we admire resilient, tough people in everything over those that are not? Mm, yeah. We expect it in our, obviously, we expect it in, in movies when we yep. see hero. We expect them to be resilient and tough, right? Right. We expect it in our sport athletes. What do you mean you got turf toe, Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> yeah. And Patrick did great. He fought through that the other night. Yeah. Unsuccessfully, but he fought through it. Which uh, living in Tampa Bay, uh, I go for, for the other guy. But You're right. <laughs> at the same time, it's one of those things that we admire that he fought through that. Yeah, uh, we don't when they wallow in it, and why yeah. should we want to wallow it in his in our culture? Exactly, and I think yeah, it goes back to where we just are. We have so much things that are make make life more of a convenience. Thing. Amazon two day shipping, and if you don't get that, you're like, oh, I gotta wait five days. Like I've even said, and I'm like, wait, it's like, what does it used to be? Like, okay, take a step back. Yeah, don't get used to that. Things like that, and, and all of these now you can order groceries and just pick it up, and it's ready for you. And and yes, that can make things easier. But if we're not then using the time we've gotten back in a constructive and a positive way, then it's just a hindrance. It's just hurting us then going forward. Yeah. There are nice, there are benefits to convenience. Yeah. There's no doubt. There are benefits to it that ultimately free us up to do other endeavors in life and have more time. We have more time to exercise, more time for other things that are more productive. Mm -hmm. I'm not opposed to those things. Yeah. And those industries that supply those things. And they become a crunch. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But it's a matter of do you embrace them as an expectation so much that you give up benefits of you doing it some things for yourself yeah and yep i like me i could order the groceries and just go pick it up and i'm like one if i'm going to drive there already to pick it up i might as well just spend the time walking around getting it myself because then it gets me out of the office out of the house out of doing all that and give me a, a like a almost a reset i don't have to think about work for a little bit while i'm getting groceries and so that's how i see it <laughs> i love shopping for groceries yeah quite honest <laughs> yeah I, I don't mind it at all. You yeah. Know, I like it. I like, and I'm going to pick my own damn vegetables okay. and those kind of things. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, I, I, it is, it's one of those, it is a, it's something that we, that society, that American society struggled with for a long time since uh, the development of, of, oh, you go back to my youth, the post-World War II uh, era, as more and more conveniences became there, whether it's yeah. dinners or yep. name it. We all, we took advantage of some of those things and not all of those were to our betterment. Yeah. But I don't want to, at the same time, I don't want to sound like I'm one of the two old guys in the Muppets. <laughs> I do believe that 
we ought to consider those things and balance them in our lives. Yeah. Balance is always going to be better and it's going to build uh, the, the ability to deal with stress better Yeah, down the road. Yeah, because it's a sadness, scary thing, because you see so many people who they'll either post something because someone said something against what they believe or something and they didn't like how it came off. And so they'll go off the handle and be irate. And I'm like, we can have different differencing differences of opinion but like for you to get that out of just sorts because it's just tracking the wrong way everyone thinks i hate to use these words but like entitled to being right or be being treated fairly and it's just life's not fair that's unfortunate that's part of it and we just have to do the best to like to in my opinion love one another treat each other the best way we can but you're not going to agree on everything yeah, I would say that the trend that I saw, but it's it, obviously it may not be the the truest example, but as I grew up, we played, I played little league baseball like a lot of kids when I was little. There wasn't much when it came to organized sports. Was that a soccer was not a big thing. In, in oh, I'm sure back then. Yeah. Things, okay. Yeah. There. But we did, there was first, second, third place teams that got trophies. If you were in the league and you didn't make first, second, or third, you didn't get a trophy. Yeah. We didn't laud ourselves if we didn't make the first, second, or third. The sort of everybody gets a soccer trophy kind of thing. And I watched them. My kids grew up, they got participation trophies. Yeah. We made a mistake when we decided to sell. There's one thing of not being persecutorial in your attitude toward people because they're not able to perform tasks as well as others. Okay. It's something else. And there's bullying and things like that happen on schoolyards and still to this day happen. Mm -hmm. But. And, and, and addressing that and how to treat people was one thing, but making people believe that they're evenly, even footing at all levels of life is yeah, this. yeah, because they're going to at some point they're going to they're going to hit that varsity sports selection and they're not going to the team, or they're going to get in a race or whatever and they're not going to win. Yeah, and they're going to find out no, I I am mortal and I'm not as good as I thought I was or my parents told me I was. A lot of this also came with helicopter parenting and other things that followed. What came into it, we're going to buzz over little Johnny and little Jane, and we're going to make sure that everything in their world is perfect. We're bubble around them. And we're going to prepare them. We're going to get them started while they're in pre-K. We're going to get them started for their Harvard education. Okay. And things like that. We got into so spun up in society wise that we lost track of letting a kid be a kid, letting failure be a lesson. And these are things, again, as we balance back on the top from the standpoint of where my experiences were in the military <laughs> side of special operations, that is not what we do. You have to make the team. Okay. Yeah. So there's high attrition uh, into uh, in the assessment selection and qualification process. Yeah. So you can go into some of the very specialized, you go in there in, in a class of 80 or produce two. It's okay. This is hard cut. So. Yeah. Making that team is an important thing. And I would say we need to teach that to kids that you got to make the team. And then one of the things that we've always said in the soft community is then you have to continue to try to make the team every day. Yep. Absolutely. And I think we're not letting, we're not letting that happen. We're not like, yeah. With that comes the argument of what you were talking about. And what we did with social media, we had some great things. We connected people with social media. We were able to share entertainment things and fun things talk or whatever it may be. My, <laughs> you know, my, my younger daughter was in that stuff all the time. <laughs> I got it. There's some fun things and there's entertaining things to look at, but we allowed it also to make, make 
uh, make people believe that their opinions on all things <laughs> are warranted. Right. And my feeling is, and I think anybody of, of, of any education would say, I will listen to someone's opinion provided it's informed. Mm. Okay. It doesn't have expertise. If, if it's your, if it's your educated opinion, I favor it more and I want to listen to it better than it's just what you're, are you parroting what you hear from somebody you like? On yeah. The media, yeah. Or the media itself. Yeah. And so where is this perspective coming from? Is it backed by facts or right. by whatever spin that you've received? For sure. And I think that goes back to what you mentioned like early on in the episode is just being informed and getting both sides, getting information, learning, and not just seeing a post from some in, influ, quote unquote influencer and then be like, oh yeah, like, yeah, look, listen to that. We, we were mentioned about the trophy, participation trophies and everything like that. And it reminds me of the quote in one of the Batmans with Christian Bale and Alfred. It's after he, I think, breaks his arm when he falls into the well. Now, he said, why do we fall, Master Wayne? And he said, so we can learn to pick ourselves back up. And if, if we don't let our children, if we don't let our, our peers mess up, lose, they're never going to learn how to deal with that and overcome and then and see maybe what they need to do to win next time or to get better or maybe pivot into something they're better at. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And we see it all the time. And in society now, if we don't address this, we're going down, we're going the path of Wally. Yeah. Because I use it jokingly, but we're going down that path because we want to be so convenient and we don't want to be told we're wrong. It, so where does it go? Yeah. Uh, we are often, all of us are wrong every day, multiple times a day, many times a day. For me, almost all the time. Yeah. We're wrong. Okay. Yep. And, it, and we need to be told we're wrong, but we also need to be told we're wrong and why. Yeah. And it has to be backed by facts, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to listen to it. If you say, okay, you're wrong. Here's why. That color is actually orange. Here's why it's orange. <laughs> orange next to it. If it's an argument over paint colors. Right. Or maybe I say that as I do a remodel in a house. But we have to be able to accept that we are mistaken or wrong and not take that as an affront or an attack on our personality or rice. Okay. Yep. And we do that now. Like you're told you're wrong. Just a bit. And we go blow up. Yep. And face it. And we get to heart racing, respiration out of control. And here we are, heaven forbid. And now we have a hate feeling toward the person. Right. Who's telling us we're wrong. Yeah. Instead yep. of, wow, I'm wrong. Am I? And you look at it and go, yeah, and I'm wrong. Yep. It's acceptable. We do that right now. And we have to deal with that. And that's why I say, again, resilient people are able to take that being wrong and address it. And adjust. Yeah. Flexible and dynamic. Yeah. Well, so good. Just from everything we've talked about today. And I think it's this topic is so needed and people need to hear it because, yeah, like we don't want to become the Wally people and, and everything like that. So we need resiliency. We need to build that mentality that the spec op warriors have been trained to do in some aspect. And so learning. Like just getting both sides, getting the truth, information, just studying history, studying philosophy, studying different opinions on things, and then building your worldview around it, experiencing things and learning how to fail and learning how to lose in, in a good way to improve. I think these are all huge things when building resiliency and kernel. When everything is said and done for you here on earth, what do you hope your mark is? 
I would like to think that I've tried to make lives better for those in my community in particular, because staff operations community is my family, that I made lives better for those that were hit pretty hard and mm-hmm. were trying to recover. If I had a tombstone marker, it would be he tried his best to help his brothers and sisters in special ops. Awesome. That would be, that's my desire. And of course, why I took up this, this position with the Special Ops Warrior Golf Foundation as their chairman and was a co-founder of the organization with two other great veterans to uh, help further the interests of our special operators using the golf course as the venue. But really, that's just our office. And it's because it's a great meeting place for people. And it's a great sport to not only have some emotional and physical recovery because it's a great game that way, but, but also it's a great meeting place for business leaders. And so our foundation is wrapped around assisting our special operators as they transition from the military side into the civilian sector and looking for careers and opportunities to, to, to grow and expand and have the rest of their life be as productive and blessed as their military service was. And so that, that foundation, which people get involved with by going to our website, www.sowtf.org. Or call me or email me. I'm at Carrie, C-A-R-Y dot S-O-W-G-F or at S-O-W-G-F dot org. And, or call me at 813-325-1366. We'd love to have your support in helping our special operators as they make these career and life changes. Our, we've got amazingly capable, resilient, absolutely it's been the topic uh, of, uh, of this program today, but but we've got uh, people with skills that, that exceed what most uh, businesses are, are used to seeing. And, and what we want to do is be able to showcase them so that you can see what a special operator can bring to your organization and potentially, and then utilize them, utilize that, that's those, their skills and experience. And so the Golf Foundation allows us to do that. And we run four retreats a year. We're scheduled to go to Ireland in April. Uh, God willing, the COVID doesn't prevent us. It's very questionable right now whether or not we'll be able to make it, but we're looking at some options for, for the, to do something here in the States as a fallback plan uh, for that particular retreat. But we get eight incredible wounded warriors headed on, on that retreat coming up, and we're always looking at all of our wounded warriors as they make that transition and, and trying to assist them. So awesome. that's been my, my focus, and, and hopefully down the, the imprint and, and the legacy of Terry Hardwell. Absolutely. That's awesome. And, and yeah, everybody check out just his foundation, get connected with Colonel Harbaugh and yeah, just a wonderful foundation helping those wounded warriors. So again, Colonel Harbaugh, thank you so much for being on today. Thanks, Chris. Enjoyed it. Anytime. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Media Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. See you in the next episode.